So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And this is Dartboard Movie Night where Jared and I select 10 films each We throw them up on the dartboard and let the fates decide well, we are in week four, week three. That sounds right. Yeah, because we four did. Four of recording, we, third movie. Yeah, third movie. And um, already cool to see a repeat actor already through That's the uh, through the dartboard scenario. Yeah, so we've been like on this journey. And this week's movie is The Taking of Pelham 123, which was a Drew Clark nomination. So Drew, um, tell me kind of like how you heard about this movie or kind of what made you think it would be a good nominee for dartboard movie night. I'm, I'm shooting from the hip tonight, guys. Uh, I wanted to watch this movie again. I didn't get an opportunity. I've been super busy lately. I didn't take notes on my first viewing. So this is going to be a completely gut reaction on this up to the point where I'm also going to shoot from the hip on. I don't remember where I heard of this movie initially. Mm. Um, I, I'll say this. I remember when the John Travolta Denzel Washington remake was coming out in about like 2009, 2010, something like that. And I remember seeing the trailer and knowing that it was a remake So I knew that the movie existed from that point for sure. That's when I first heard of it. When I heard that it was great was definitely through just the network of movie podcasts, movie writers that I follow Mm. on Twitter. And, you know, this is just one of those movies that just has this ethos of like, this is the one that no one talks about, you know, from that era that is just kind of an unsung masterpiece of just tense heist actiony kind of filmmaking. Um, and it's just been on my radar as one that because I'm a fan of that kind of genre filmmaking and just taught thrillers just as a genre, like I, I, my favorite genre of movies in general is like spy movies. I love James Bond. I love mission impossible. Um, I love, you know, anything with some amount of, of, you know, sneaking around disguises, you know, negotiations, like all that stuff just, just like checks boxes in my brain of, of what I want out of my pure entertainment. Mm -hmm. So this movie just like struck me as something that was going to be right in my wheelhouse. And it absolutely was (laughs) like (laughs) phenomenal. Like this is like everything, everything that I want out of a movie like this. Um, the score, the the direction, the editing, the acting, the character, like the the way that they they put all these these different personalities into this situation. The you know, I, I don't know. It's just like every element of this movie is firing on all cylinders to me. And at an hour and forty four minutes, it's a perfect runtime too. It's just like all the pieces just fall right into place for me. So I don't know. What was your reaction on this movie? What did you know about it going in? And what'd you think? I, I knew nothing about it. Um, I I don't think I've ever heard anyone talking about it. Have you heard of the remake? 
I remember vaguely, I don't remember ever seeing like a trailer or anything, but when I saw in like the research or like just making sure I was picking the right one to watch, I saw the like jacket cover or what would be the movie poster for the remake. And I was like, that looks familiar. I remember seeing that around, um, but I never saw it. And I don't even know if I was aware that it was a remake, you know, and certainly when I started this movie, I found out through the, you know, I don't do a lot of research before I watch anything, but I did see that Walter Matthau was in it, who I am somewhat experienced with. I, 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 um, my grandparent, my, my grandfather's a big Walter Matthau fan, and he introduced me to The Odd Couple and stuff like that. So I, I was more familiar with Matthau through comedy roles. Mm-hmm. And of course, when we were kids, Dennis the Menace was a movie that I loved, and he's, he's really great <laughs> in that, I think. Dennis the Menace. Yeah, do you remember that movie? That movie's yeah, great. Of course, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was intrigued because I, I knew I, th- I thought it was going to be a super serious movie, and it certainly is in points. And I was excited about seeing a serious Mathau performance. Mm. Little did I know that it is laced with comedy, especially his performance. It's funny though, but well, I see. I don't know. I question that. He's kind of playing the straight man to a bunch of other weirdos in in some ways. I mean, he has funny I lines for sure, but like, well, he's he's one of those people too. I think. Um, he he just he just talks funny. He can just put a, like a little spin on anything to me to make it comedic, even if he's just not saying yeah. a joke. You know, just the way he says "shut up, shut up" is just like it's really funny to me. So I was excited to see Matthau in it, and he blew away my expectations. I thought he was going to be very very good, but I didn't know I was going to be like kind of so enamored by this guy. And I did not know that he was not like some quote unquote super cop. I loved as the movie started rolling that he's just kind of this normal guy. He just kind of runs the subway police department. He's not like, doesn't seem crazy invested in it necessarily. He definitely seems kind of weary from like the bureaucracy and kind of, you know. When he's giving the tour to the Japanese uh, businessmen, like even though I hate that joke, I hate that they like American movies were so fixated on like the Asian tourist joke that they constantly would make. In, in this context, like just watching Mathau, like talking to them and being like, look at this stupid thing and this stupid thing, yeah, like that yeah. kind of energy is just, <laughs> it's so funny to me. So funny. There's one point where he walks into, uh, walks into well, like the, the, the pretty much the main set of the movie other than the subway car. And he's just like, come right this way, fellas, a lot of laughs in here. And it's just like, just stuff like that just kills me. And then like. And then, like uh, one of the but Japanese he's getting guys one up the whole time by Cornell, who's just or Corel, who's just like going off on everyone, like teeing off on these guys who have a a woman and her children at gunpoint, and he's like, "Get the fuck out of here! We're yeah. not gonna give you shit." <laughs> their their interplay was so funny, but uh, but yeah, just Mathau his performance, you know, as obviously the lead of the movie, I would say, yeah, uh, was just so good, and no, really I just was. liked seeing him on camera. I liked the way he looked. I liked the way he talks and moves. Uh, just really, uh, I was struck by how charismatic he is, and and he's not even really doing things that are charismatic. He's he's playing like a, a weary person and like a, a tired person I think he's a tired person but he has a weird motivation to him like he definitely wants to get to 
Like he wants to solve the mystery. He wants to get the bad guy. Like, like that's like, yeah, there is a drive for that because like he's, he's going out into the field and he's chasing these guys down. Like he's not mm-hmm. like a bad cop, but he is yeah. tired, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's just, I think he's just weary of the city and just like, yeah, he's, New he's York constantly kind of ground talking, him down. He's constantly talking about like all, how the NYPD is worthless and like, he's constantly yeah. making jokes. They're going to be late. They're going to be late. And yeah. 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 And he's like, when he's like, I'm sure you got your fair share of crime on the, on the Japanese subway lines. And he's like going through the list of the stuff they have to deal with every day. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, ah, oh, you know, exhibitionism, like robbery. Just, you could just tell he's just so kind of sick of dealing with all this nonsense. And, and, um, but you're, but he truly does care. Like, and he really puts his strongest effort forward to resolve this situation. Well, he goes in so the line of fire. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he gets down into the tunnel and stuff. So I, the, that was the first kind of impression I had with the movies, how much I loved Mathau. And then, and, and how happy I was that he was not like um, a traditional cop character. He was not, again, this like wild card off to the side who bucks all the rules, you know, like a lot of cop movies play into that sort of space. Right. He's just he's just kind of like an everyday cop. And he's I really by the found that guy. refreshing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he follows orders. He, he like runs through the chain of command. And it was just kind of cool to see a cop movie embrace that sort of like uh, just dealing with the bureaucracy stuff. Um, but then as the movie progressed and it uh, kind of unfurls. I really had fun kind of seeing how impactful this movie has been on the history of, of crime movies and hostage movies and things like that. I mean, I was seeing stuff from movies decades later that were clearly paying homage to Pelham one, two, three. Um, and I, so I was having fun with that stuff. And, uh, but overall you, you kind of mentioned it too, when we were just kind of giving overall thoughts as we are now, um, it's, it's so lean. It's the perfect Mm -hmm. runtime. Um, it's, it's, it's it's just kind of yeah. like a train running down the tracks. It's 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 really efficient. It's funny. It's but it has the perfect amount of humor. It's dark. Comes um, in on time, man. Yeah, it it really does. It pulls into the station right on schedule, and uh, I really really enjoyed it. A couple of little nitpicks and stuff, but I really loved the performance. Yeah, I mean, if I if I had to nitpick yeah. anything up front, I you know, in terms of just the way that it's constructed, I think like the only. The only issue is when you get to the last bit where they're chasing down Martin Balsam's character. Um, mm. it, it it feels like it loses steam after after uh, Robert Shaw dies. Yeah, um, and I think I think that's to the movie's detriment a little bit. It earns you back with that that freeze frame at the end of of oh, the ending. Just like you know what I heard about that freeze frame. <laughs> by the way, the crazy thing. Yeah, I heard it's not even a freeze frame. He held. The face for Get that long. Get out of here! And then, yeah, what? Yeah, he held. He held. Look, it's not a freeze. Frame. I gotta watch that again <laughs> just that to find out if that's the case. Also, we are on a bit of a hot streak with great endings. I get what you're saying about, um, you know, the movie does lose a bit of its steam, but I, I do think those parts where they're interviewing the suspects who are not Balsam, who is the guy obviously who runs the train and is one of the four who escapes from this situation. Um, I I think you need that to get like the the effort, the wearying effort that these guys are going through to just talk to these people. And no, I think, I think tonally and from a a story writing perspective, it makes sense. But I think in, Mm -hmm. in the flow of the movie, it peaks in all tension with the train hurtling down and like, you know, finally stopping because they catch it. Like that's, Mm -hmm. 
that's the ending of like the tension of the movie. After that, it's just they're hunting down a fairly harmless guy who just like got wrapped up in the wrong you know situation. Yeah, like they're not hunting down the real danger at that point. Yeah, that's true. There's not a ton of stakes left in in that scenario, but it is only you know there's like ten minutes. Oh and, yeah, no, no, um, it's a it's it is, a minor quibble. And it's such a, it's such, I think a great ending. So burning last week had, I th- I thought one of the best endings I'd seen in a long time. And then this in a totally different way was just a, a fantastic ending with the Gazuntite coming back around. And That's such which, a cause great... the whole time I'm like, why are they planting all these, these cold and flu? I know it's here for a reason. And then the mayor, the mayor is sick. So I'm like, are they trying to say something about, I, I, I don't even See, know. I wasn't even thinking that deeply on it. Like you were even going deeper than I was. I just was like, they're setting something up. And every yeah. time that like, because it was, it was a superfluous thing. They didn't have to add that in. That was just mm-hmm. completely like clearly a, a setup for something. Yeah. But for whatever reason, when it comes back around, it didn't feel like I was like, oh, yeah, okay, of course. Like mm-hmm. the reaction is like, oh, they did it. They pulled it yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. And you have that reaction set. You're feeling that way. And you're looking at just Walter Matthau making like a top 10 cinema face of all time. Just eyes looking up, just like such a great expression. So funny. And um, also I think the way Balsam in that scene is like hanging out in the doorway and kind of chastising Jerry Stiller and Walter Matthau. Really leaning um, into the the acting yeah. of it. And you can, that's when you start to see it coming. It's like, oh my God, he's going to blow it with the sneeze. And it's almost like feeling a sneeze coming on. It's like almost like you can see, like it's like you can tell it's coming. And it, he just kind of shoots himself in the foot and gives himself away with the sneeze. It's so funny. It's so funny. Um, yeah. Well, no, I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about Walter Matthau's performance. I think that mm-hmm. might be a good place to start is just with the key characters, because I mean, it really, yeah. this movie is really like, I mean, there, you know, obviously Martin Balsam has a big part. Hector Elizondo has a big part. Um, like there are, there are other characters, but it really is a two hander between Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. And I think both of them give just absolutely phenomenal performances. Yeah. So without different. ever having face to face interaction. Yeah, until the very end of, or to their final, of course, conflict. But but you're right. It, they're just. It must have been hard to play off each other. And they again, you know, Shaw's character is very uh, reserved and cold and calculated, and mm-hmm. and seems like a dynamo of like energy. You know, he never seems tired in the movie. And then Mathau is just kind of so much more casual and loose and just dealing with the situation. So you're right. Them kind of playing off each other, not being face to face. It really works well, and it is an incredible performance by Shaw. Like I, um, I had I, I wouldn't say an issue with it, but I had one thing with the character. Um, well, I guess I'll just say it now. Remember how um, they're trying to get the money there in time, and I, I did not personally feel a lot of tension through those scenes uh, where they're racing to get the money to. No, because it does feel like it's more performative than it is, you know, weighty. Like it doesn't feel yeah. like he like. He feels so cool and calculated in that, that this, for whatever reason, there's a part of you that's like, this guy's not actually going to kill hostages. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know why that is, but like something about his performance has like, um, there's a sympathetic quality to it, even though he's like in a sociopathic kind of just, you know, like state. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's the way he very early on notices that. Mr. Gray, 
played by Hector Elizondo, who's kind of like the creepy guy from the mafia who got kicked out. Um, it's the way he starts speaking about him that I think we start to sympathize with Robert Shaw a little bit because he's like, this guy is a sociopath and I think he might be a problem. So it's like, okay, so he's all business. Like he's not a maniac. Robert Shaw is not a maniac. Right. And so That's a great it, we, point. I think I, from then I kind of get on his side like, oh, is he he's also being like, nice to Martin Balsam mostly, who seems like yeah. kind of a, a hanger on to this group. He doesn't, he's not really like a criminal. He's just a guy who is doing yeah. it because he drives the train and he's like being fairly nice to that guy. So you're like, yeah, I, okay. This yeah. guy is above board. And, and, they, and, um, Martin Balsam also says like, you know, I thought he said we weren't going to hurt anybody and stuff like that. So you can tell that the plan was to mitigate violence initially. And, the only act of real violence that we've seen up to that point is by Mr. Gray, guns down, Kaz Dulowitz, which is a great performance for a character who's not in the movie very long, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of like, you know, the train operator who's yelling. I thought about that him. was going to be your favorite character in the movie, if I had to I, guess. It was a great, it was great performance played by Tom Petty, not it's spelled differently fuck? than the music. Yeah. Uh, he's just such a misogynist and he's just complaining. He was, he is really funny and over the top, but in a good way. But so the act of violence we have before the money needs to get to the station in time is Mr. Gray gunning Kaz down. And that's a Mr. Gray action. And I honestly think it is somewhat justified just because he did, you know, he did warn the person he kept coming and all this stuff. So my thing is when they were racing, Jared, it's justified justified. to kill this man. If you're going to be doing a hijacking, you know, come in, come on. But um, when those, so the, get some when calls the money, from people who want to hire you for their team, yeah. When the um, when the money is in route, we haven't seen Mr. Blue, Robert Shaw, like do anything crazy. So I, I wasn't convinced he was going to kill anybody. Yeah. So I didn't feel the tension there. And then, of course, I think it does kind of work in a sneak attack way because when he does kill someone, it's surprising. Like, it's like, oh, shit, he is cold and heartless. I thought he was just going to try to, you know, be one of those guys doing a stick up with a highlighter in his pocket or whatever. It's really you know, great like, construction in that way. Yeah. So it does it does pay off in that regard. But uh, but point being, Robert Shaw's performance is excellent. And we get the perfect amount of detail about his history, I think, with him being like a mercenary and like he was in he was in Africa commanding legions and that work dried up. So but like not too much. We get we get an idea of who this person is and then his the level of his cruelty is revealed over time mm-hmm. in an interesting way. Kind of really hitting its peak when he kills Mr. Gray for refusing to give up his gun. Like that's it. That I was very surprised by that. Um, and uh, you he know, just he's didn't just, trust him. And then he, he didn't kills trust himself. Him. Yeah, he, which is which is an interesting, really interesting choice that he makes. And the whole throughout the movie, he's occasionally saying things like, "It's entirely possible that we'll die today." And he's kind of you. You get ideas that he is not. You know, someone's talking about how they might die, and he's like, "Well, it's better than selling life insurance." You know, so he is a sort of reckless individual who knows that death is, of course, in, impending and to try to outrun it is ridiculous. So when he gets in that corner that is inescapable, it, it totally makes sense for his character to step onto the third rail, rail and go out on his own terms, as mm-hmm. opposed to going through the whole legal system and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, it, it, great, great performance, though. And I, I really loved the way they introed him. So mm-hmm. you know how in the beginning we're starting to see the crooks, the thieves kind of 
coming on the train one-on-one at different stops. But Shaw is the last one, and the shot is of his feet just kind of clicking back and forth as he's kind of like hovering in place mm-hmm. next to his, uh, you know, his case that's holding, obviously, the gun. But it's just, And the camera kind of pulls up and, and pans around him to the side. It's just a great reveal and a great intro. And another person who was just, um, my eyes were kind of glued to him. Uh, and, and he, at this point in his career, Jaws had not come out yet. So he wasn't. No, this is the year star. before Jaws. Yeah. And I think the sting came out around the same time, if not before. So he was. Uh, yeah. I think those were back to back years, all like all three in a row. So, so he was on a crazy hot streak and he unfortunately didn't end up living much longer than that, is my understanding. Um, and the sting is one of my all time favorite movies and his performance in it is amazing. It's, it's actually interesting. I mean, like in, in Jaws, he plays a lot older than he actually was. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, or at least that's the vibe he gives off. He, he might just be more grizzled than anything. But um, he died in 1978 at the age of 51. Uh, it's truly, truly sad. He only was nominated for one Oscar, and that was in A Man for All Seasons in 1967. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how the hell he wasn't nominated for Jaws because he's outstanding in that movie. So, it's by far the so best good. part of that movie, in my opinion. Yeah. He's the most memorable thing about the movie. Mm-hmm. Like when it, when when someone mentions Jaws to me, I picture the Indianapolis speech or the chalkboard scene. Things like like he is he's you know he's just so so great in that movie. And I, my personal favorite performance of his is the Sting. Like uh, I, think I still haven't actually hysterical. seen the Sting. Oh man, that I I'm very excited to hear you say that. I hope we get to talk about that movie someday because I. I adore it. And Paul Newman and Robert Redford are both on fire in that movie too. And the cast is great, but I mean, I've seen Butch Cassidy, uh, but yeah, I would yeah. love to love to check that out. Yeah, it's great. But, um, but yeah, Robert Shaw's, uh, was a real kind of superstar, you know, and just got gone far too soon. But man, someone who, when he's on screen, you're just looking at him. So maybe it's kind of nice that him and Matt are never on in the same shot really, because you don't have to pick who to look at. So it kind of makes it easier. You know, I want to, I want to ask you a question. Sure. Who do you think in this movie is the grumpiest? Between any of the characters? Yeah. Okay. Because this um, movie is chock full of some fucking sass. Yeah. Speaking of grumpy old men, I guess. Math how. But um, so for grumpiest people, we've got so many nominees, like you're saying. Uh, we have Dick O'Neill, who played Carell, who I think is Frank Carell, if I can rem- remember the character's name right. And he is like that guy who is only concerned about the trains. He doesn't give a shit about the hostage situation. He just wants to get the trains running. And the scenes with him and Matthau, I just I absolutely love. But he is maybe the grumpiest. But I would say another one would be Tom Petty, we mentioned, who plays Kaz Dolowitz. So grumpy, like aggressive, intense grumpiness. Him shouting at everyone in the office and running around. And he's the guy who walks down the tracks and gets gunned down. Um, And then the mayor. The mayor is supremely grumpy. The, the mayor, mayor played the by mayor Lee is Wallace. more um, like emasculated in this movie though, because <laughs> yeah. the movie is clear and that'll get to something else that you mentioned you wanted to talk about which is the New Yorkness of this movie in general. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> just, it's very New York to hate the mayor that way. Oh, oh for sure. Also Tony Roberts who plays uh, Warren LaSalle, who is the deputy mayor. Yeah. He's incredibly grumpy. 
I, I, uh, what about what about the police chief who's on the scene who's just like oh, oh the mayor's coming you, you, <laughs> he's in the running you read my mind i was about to say him next so that is um he, it's rudy bond is who plays the police okay commissioner. police commissioner so, so that, we've got yeah, police that, commissioner rudy bond we've got uh tom petty as kaz <laughs> dolowitz we've got dick o'neill as frank corral uh <laughs> Who else we got? Well, I mean, obviously Walter Matthau's yeah. in the running, but I don't think he's going to win actually because there's some fucking cr- crotchety yeah. old assholes in this movie. Yeah, I uh, love when Rudy Bond. The money finally shows up and they give him the salute. He's like, "I don't give a shit about your salute. Get down there. We only got four minutes." <laughs> That's a great bit. And then, like, no, hold said, on. We didn't mayor, mention we didn't mention Jerry Stiller, who's the quiet grump in this. He movie. is grumpy. Like he oh, do, yeah, he doesn't address paper. people directly. He just no, kind no. of grumps in silence. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Stiller is remarkable in this movie. I think to answer the question, the grumpiest goes to Kaz Dolowitz, Tom, Tom. Petty. He's just, Petty. he's a volcano of grump. Of it's, He just comes in like, just like, like you say, like burning lava and just starts bitching and spinning in circles. Like, what the hell? How am I supposed to run a train station if I get cussed? Uh, but, but who are you? And he's like walking on the train platform doing all sorts of crazy shit. The woman who works in his office just reacting to his his insane outbursts was just hysterical. And the funniest yeah. part was he's getting yelled at from above him and he's just <laughs> dishing it out at that level. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny. So he's like, like going to nail structure. his pecker to the, to the wall. He's like, see, you know, he's just, he is, I think he wins the son of board. a bitch. The tr- he started, he stopped again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to write him up. I'm going to, I'm going to get, and he's just like, I'm on it, Frank. And he's like, I'm going down there. It's <laughs> when, like, talk. When he's approaching the train and the guy says, stop or I'll shoot. And he's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> That's city property. You're messing around with. <laughs> yeah, he just keeps charging you. pointing an automatic gun right for you. <laughs> Your response is to point and shout, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he ask who he is or something? He's like, who are you? Like, who the fuck are you? And he just gets gunned down. It's just so dark, but so funny. And uh, so, yeah, he's 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 the grumpiest. But I did want to say you but mentioned did, the... Hold on. We got to call out one of Carell's best lines, which is, Christ, to hear you plead with that chicken shit makes me ashamed to be an American. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does he say something like, "Well, you're playing grab ass with some guy who's hold hostage"? So like, <laughs> let me let me be clear: the entire IMDb quote section is just Corel quotes on this page. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> how about how about Mathau? The Mathau's. Uh, <laughs> delivery when he when he walks up to Corel and he's like uh, if you listen to me you son of a bitch you do this or you'll be having dinner with Kaz Dolowitz tonight <laughs> he throws him down well so that's because Corel is like I don't give a rat's ass for your fucking instructions I'm not lifting a finger to help the killers of Kaz Dolowitz <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah oh. that is Mathau is so <laughs> great in that scene. The whole movie, obviously. Uh, what do you mean you don't ha- have any buses? Go out and hijack some. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. That is a great line. <laughs> but also, the, no, the you best though, it, the, uh, there's there was a letterbox review from David Sims where he was he quoted the line that was like, uh, <laughs> "What do you think your lousy thirty five cents gets you? Live forever." 
Yeah. Oh, you're beautiful. That's Matt's reaction to that. Oh, and, sorry. I'm um, just dying. I love the, I love these kind of characters. They just, these, they endlessly make me laugh this way. And the movie is just stuffed to the rafters with them. And you mentioned it, but what, in Rudy Bond's line, when the mayor shows up and, and you never see the mayor at the scene, you just hear the crowd booing. And his head just turns around and he goes, just recognizing it from the booze. Jesus Christ, it's the goddamn mayor. And then it just cuts and he's just so, it's just such a good delivery, thick New York accent, just so, so funny. And yeah, the movie is just it's such running, a well just running a movie across the board. It's hysterical. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, and, and I think that's an under, underappreciated art in action filmmaking is layering in the humor, but not having it overpower the dramatic elements and not vice versa either. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's so crazy to me that in the same movie that we're howling, laughing at these lines that these guys are delivering at the same time, you're also getting this hyper dramatic Robert Shaw performance that has this Mm -hmm. gravitas of like, you know, he's like, he's tapping into like the Shakespearean quality of, of, you know, his, his acting style. And he's just delivering this stoic, you know, like, it's just crazy to me that the, like the disparity of the tones in those two things and how they Mm -hmm. work so well in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And like, and I feel like a lot of times the stuff that's happening outside of the tunnel is in the city itself is where almost all the comedy resides, but Mm -hmm. in, in the tunnel and in the car, that's a great point. It's quiet. It's still like everything else is buzzing. Like when there's no comedy within that train or on the radio. There's a couple of moments you could say, like well, guess, the drunk yeah. who's asleep, things like that. But it's very minor. But the thing that I was struck on rewatch was the the cutting between the kinetic and frantic energy of the city trying to respond to this up above ground and the mm. noise and the chaos. And then that intertwined with cutting back to the subway where, again, it's still, it's quiet, it's silent, it's tense, it's suspenseful. Yeah. Really good blend. And... I think it's you, just strong you filmmaking. We should, I mean, we should use this as an opportunity to call out the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, it was directed by Joseph Sargent, who is not a filmmaker that I'm particularly familiar with. Um, just pulling up his IMDb, he's uh, somehow responsible for Jaws the Revenge, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I, I'm not seeing any other major credits that really jump out at me as, as movies that people really yeah. adore and remember. Um, My understanding is he did a lot of television. He he directed some very successful episodes of Star Trek and Man from Uncle and stuff. So I think that's where he kind of made a lot of his bones during his career. And then in terms of movies that really punched through the culture... The research I saw said that it's really it's it's really the taking of Pelham One Two Three yeah, is the one that really resonated. But it's just wild to me because this movie is so well constructed from a, a visual perspective too. I mean, just mm-hmm. the visual language of it, it, like the scenes are constructed perfectly. It, it's edited like he gets all the coverage he needs in all the action scenes. Nothing feels disjointed. Like just on a pure filmmaking level, it's tightly made. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising and, to me that he didn't make more, you know, well-known films other than this. Yeah. And a lot of these shots are uh, incredibly 
complicated. Even if you're just talking about the blocking, you know, there's like the scenes in like the nerve center that they call it, where they're trying to respond to this situation. And Mathau is all over the intercoms talking to various people like that has people crisscrossing all over the place. The camera's making moves. Then when you have like things like the money showing up at the train station, there's crowds of people. Well, it's crane shots of the motorcycles showing up. It's really complicated, difficult yeah. shots that are taking Well, there's place. something that people talk about when they talk about action filmmaking, which is like the geography of a scene and being able to communicate how, like there is an art to how you construct your shots to communicate to the audience what the layout of this room or this, this, you know, street, whatever it is, you know, you know where all the characters are at all times within a scene. Um, when they're cutting around to, to the various elements within the the geography of the scene, you're never lost. You never feel yeah. like, wait, wasn't that character over here? And that that like, yeah. and and that's really hard to do, especially in a movie like this where you've got you know 15 characters that you've given a face and a voice to on the train. You've got, you know, the cop in, in the, um, shadows to the side, like the transit cop, you've got, you know, the above ground cops, you've got Mathau in the the control room, being able to cut between all those elements and never have it be confusing is an art in and of itself. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You're right. You're never, I was never once lost in this movie. And it's going all over the city. It's going to the mayor's office. It's going, like you're saying, to the cops on the street, everywhere. And at no point is it like, where the fuck are we now? Right. And it just, it really, you're right. It's very clean. It, it's complicated, but it's also simple. It's, it's mm-hmm. I don't know really where that line is, but yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think it's brilliantly constructed. And I, I did also want to highlight in terms of just the, the filmmaking aspect, being able to have full dialogue scenes throughout the movie that take place between two characters who are not in the same space as each other. Um, and have all of that cut together seamlessly, be cohesive, um, and, and feel like they're vibing off of each other in a real way. When in reality, they're probably not talking to anybody on the other end of that thing. And if they are, it's probably yeah. not Walter Matthau or, or uh, Robert Shaw on the other end of that. It's probably some PA yeah. that they're just like reading the lines to them. Um, mm-hmm. Getting those performances, having it feel natural, having it feel uh, uh, not confusing that again, it's just like that, that's really fucking well done. Yeah. And it's not easy to pull off and who knows, maybe Robert Shaw was off camera talking to him, but still, it's not the same. You know, you're speaking into a microphone, you're, you're playing into this, you know, you, there's like, there's that face you can see with, with, with their, when they're kind of playing cat and mouse, you know, you can almost picture they're both trying to, to imagine the other person that they're talking to, you know, like they're kind of just searching through this voice for clues as to what they're thinking and what's going on. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really cool, but you're right. It's, it's, it's super complicated. And I think of that, that scene in the beginning where Kaz first arrives to work and there's the wedding ring thing. And the problem has really just started with the train. That scene is incredibly chaotic. It's cutting a mile a minute. There's, there's just chaos in this office. There's all these new characters that we're being introduced to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's no problem. You keep up with it. There's no confusion. And it's, uh, you're right. It's like, it's like a magic act. It's kind of, it sneaks under your radar and you don't even notice that it's so accurately delivering this information. Yeah, no, totally. And and I feel the same way that you do about that scene, about the scene where they have some random shot rings out from the shadows and it causes a, a firefight. Um, that whole scene, I mean, 
it, it's again, it's like weird. It's like the scene conveys the the feeling of what the fuck just happened, chaos that it needs to. But the shot sequencing is communicating that clearly because of how well structured it is. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just this, it's like finding order in the chaos. I don't know. I find that really interesting from a directorial standpoint, how they do that. Yeah, he did. He did an excellent, excellent job. This movie, this movie's sick. It's really, really good. And I'm glad that it's getting a lot of attention and that people are talking about it as like a classic gritty, grimy seventies, New York movie, because we all know about, um, you know, taxi driver, and I, I just recently saw Friedkin's movie French Connection for the first time. Those, those movies are like iconic, like, oh, this is 70s gritty New York films. And Pelham, the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 sits right up there beside those movies, I think. And it's great yeah. that it's getting the recognition it deserves. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I think part of the reason that I this movie got back on my radar is a lot of the film critics and, and writers that I follow uh, are New York based. And I mm-hmm. think they really latch on to New York movies, you know, movies right. that get it right, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm not going to speak to the New Yorkness of movies in general, because I don't think I'm qualified to necessarily say that, but there is a feeling to a New York movie. Um, mm-hmm. and every, all the ones that you listed have that feeling where you're just like, there's, there's something about this, it's like, uh, it's so I, I can't remember who made a joke about this, but just like, there's like a distant sax. It's just like, there's like a yeah. vibe like that. You're just like, Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I'm in New York now. And, and this yeah. movie is like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I don't know necessarily how to describe it. You just know it when you see it. It's like, porn. yeah, New York <laughs> is such a, yeah, Supreme Court would say about a New York movie. Um, it's, it's this, you know, New York to me is this crazy combination of like uh, extreme, amazing stimulation and melancholy. And I think the, 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 like, the joined up and mixed together. And I think those New York movies kind of try to, to try to hit that. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the movie is definitely not shy about showing the underbelly of the city in that way. Like, mm-hmm. it's not in any way a glowing re- review of the NYPD. The mayor mm-hmm. is shit on. The only real hero is this guy who's been beaten down by the system and is just over it and is just like, whatever I, you know, I just want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Um, it's yeah. I, I like that this movie is grimy. I like that. It's not, um, yeah, it's not a glorification of law enforcement. It's a glorification of individuals who give a shit. Yeah. It's also not the glorification of thieves. Like this is not a Robin Hood type story. This is not, there isn't anything redeemable about the majority of these thieves and these villainous characters. Uh, You know, this is not a rebel who's, you know, you think of a movie like um, Dog Day Afternoon, like that's a character who through desperation is pushed into this hostage situation because it's like a last resort for him to try to get the things he needs in his life. These characters don't really... We don't get that about these guys. These are not romanticized. They're just heartless. I'm sure they see that they feel like they need the money, but uh, you know, it's it's just kind of it doesn't really romanticize anything, like you're saying, with the exception of ordinary people who just try to make things better. You know, 
if we wanted to shift, I had uh, something I wanted to bring up. Shift away, baby. So I loved the score of this movie. It was it was it's outstanding. Uh, compo- composed by David Shire, who in the same year scored the conversation. Did he is, really? I didn't even realize that. That score is outstanding too. It is. And and when I heard that, I listened to some of the conversation score to remind myself. And I was like, oh, it's so eerie. And the piano is just kind of tinkling along. And the fact that he did this score, which is so brassy and so big and chaotic at the same time as something that's very kind of moody and, and subtle, just really shows how gifted he is as a composer and was really on fire. And I just, the score kicks this movie right off. You know, it's that title card sequence with just black screen. I really like the font. You know, little things like that do matter. The font that they're using. Totally. And just it all set contributes to, this to the vibe. First thing I wrote was just like, the score is incredible. And it just, it just is like pounding and thunder, thunderous. And I listened to some interviews with him talking about it. And he said what he wanted to achieve, and I think he nailed it, was he wanted the score to be like, New York, where it's like, it just seems chaotic, but there actually is structure underneath it all. And I think the score really, really pulls it off. And also it's just super appealing and badass. And it I was gets you going, day, man. You, I was get, so hyped. As, up. as soon as that score kicks in, you get hyped. If you don't get hyped off of that, I don't, I don't want to yeah. know you. Go see um, their, go see your doctor. As they say, I was thinking like, if I was like a relief pitcher, in Major League Baseball, <laughs> that would be the song I'd want to come out to. Like it's bottom Why of the eighth. Why should you go with relief it. pitcher and not batter? Because batters- Because <laughs> they have walk-up the, music. No, because batters don't, the song doesn't play for as long. Like the the pitcher uh, has a longer journey enough. to get to the mound. You so really want to like savor a minute. that music. Yeah, because the, the song, you don't want to hear 15 seconds of it. You want to hear at least 45 and that, and it's just so, it's such a badass score. And if I need to get like jacked up for something, like a job interview or whatever, dude, I'm going to throw that on, man. That Hell song yeah. gets me going. I'm glad just you a, dug it too. As a little tease uh, for the future, he also did the score for All the President's Men. Oh, cool. Cool. Which is one, have you, I forget, have you seen that? Or is one that of one of my favorites? I love that movie. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to, when we, when we get to it, you know, it's on the board, speaks. baby. On the board. Yeah, I did want to give a shout out to the score because I think it's incredible and also not overused. A lot of the movie is quiet musically. A lot of those chase sequences of trying to get the money there don't have music set to them. Like, so it's really, uh, the score is obviously not subtle. The score is big and bold and brassy, but it's use and when it when it's deployed, I think is subtle. It's like, I think of scenes like when they're counting the money and stacking it up. The score hits hard there. The intro, obviously, there's there's these moments, but a lot of the movie's quiet and without music, which I think is cool. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is about this movie. I, I don't. There's not a ton to say about it. It's just good. It's just a yeah, great, movie. really good. I'd recommend it to anybody. You know, I'd recommend it to film geeks like us. I'd recommend it to my parents. I'd recommend it to to like. Anybody, you know, like my cousins, like it's just a great movie. It's really, I don't know how anyone could not be entertained by this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, oh, sorry. I also wanted to say one thing too, which is another movie that popped in my head or that I heard speed. Well, yeah, we can speed. Speed owes a lot. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, vehicle kind of out of control hostage situation, you know, speed's a big one. Yeah. It reverses yeah. it a little bit. It puts uh, the cop in the train, but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
pop quiz hotshot. <laughs> yeah. I I'm due to see that movie again. I don't think I've seen it for, you know, 15, 20 years. It's been a while. Yeah. I need yeah. I needed to, to get back to that movie too. My brother watched it recently and was like, that movie fucking rips. It's awesome. He, oh, he thinks it's great. That's great. That's that's good to hear. I like mm-hmm. good action movies, man. And Pelham is definitely one. There yeah, there's just those movies that you flick on and you're like, this just works. It's fucking yeah. good. You know what's another one of those that doesn't get enough? I mean, it's gotten kind of a lot of recent praise in the film Twitter community, but um, one that like people don't totally remember as being a great action movie is The Mask of Zorro. That movie fucking rules. And it's mm. one of these things, too, where you just throw it on and you're like, this is fucking great. And this, yeah. no one talks about this being one of the best action movies of the 90s, but it absolutely mm. is. Have you seen oh, that? Yeah. I I think I saw it like shortly after it was in theaters, but I have no memory of it. Is oh my God, that? dude. It's great. No, uh, it's um, Antonio Banderas is, is like the new Zorro. Antonio, mm-hmm. uh, a- Antonio, uh, Anthony Hopkins plays the former Zorro who's old and, and trains oh. Antonio Banderas. And then uh, Catherine Zeta Jones plays the love interest who is technically the daughter of the original Zorro, but gets, you know, stolen away by the, the horrible bureaucrat. Hmm. Yeah. I need to see that again. Cause I have vague dude. Re- I have a vague memory of it. So it's directed by Martin Campbell who did uh golden eye and casino Royale, two of the best bond Ooh. movies ever. Yeah. Um, he just understands exactly how to construct action scenes and tension scenes in just that way, the same way that this movie works, you know? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And Mask of Zorro, you flick it on in the first action scene, you're just like, this rules. This is yeah. fucking great. <laughs> why doesn't, why is every movie not like this? Like, yeah. this is just the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to check that out, man. That's been, I, I don't remember it at all. Got to dive in. Me and my brother watched it a couple years ago and we were just like, what? Why? Talk. Yeah. Everyone watch this movie. This is what we need. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. watch a movie. It's great. Um, well, should we move into selecting the next movie and throwing that dart? Oh, yeah. I'm oh, ready, yeah, to baby. All right. Oh, yeah. First, we need to select a replacement. So sure Pelham One Two Three is a Drew movie. Do you have any candidates you're kicking around? Any ideas? I love Jeff Bridges, and I want to watch more Jeff Bridges. So this is why this is going up here. It's a movie from 1974, starring Jeff Bridges and Clint Eastwood. Whoa! Directed by Michael Cimino, who also directed The Deer Hunter. Mm. It's a movie called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Is do you know anything else beyond that? Or it's just like good pedigree, good pedigree, good pedigree. Young Jeff Bridges, youngish Clint okay. Eastwood. Yeah, uh, in a non dirty, hairy, non man with no name uh, role. Is he not a cop? And not a, he's not a. He's well, he's not pointing a, a gun in the poster, so I would imagine he's some sort of law enforcement individual, or he's just going vigilante. Who knows? We're gonna maybe find he's out. A, maybe he's a villain. I'd love to see Clint as a villain. I kind of like this idea because it's two actors that I think would be interesting to talk about. It's uh, a great title for a movie: Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Yeah, come on. 
Uh, yeah, I think this is a great choice. Okay, we're going Thunderbolt and, and it's seventies, right? So we're board. sticking with seventies gold, yeah. which was a really lucrative time for for film. I, and it's an era that lucrative I just want to explore more. Lucrative. It was so creative. Yeah, it, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Okay, Thunderbolt and Lightful, Lightfoot is going in at number 13. Love it. Dude, I'm excited about this. And uh, yeah, Pelham was just great, dude. I'm so glad we watched that. And I like that we're sticking with the 70s. Whenever we hit 13, you know, who knows when that'll be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We going to throw this dart? Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. I'm going to throw the dart. Dart has spoken. Yes. And it has said 10. Back to number 10. So that is hitting our first replacement movie, Sling Blade. I wonder if I have a proclivity for 10. We'll have to keep an eye on this. This, Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, Sling hey. Blade, this is one of mine. I really don't know much about it. I'm sure we'll talk about the history and stuff next week. But listen, very I mean, interesting. The Dart has very spoken. Excited. What, what can the we do? The Dart has spoken. Yeah, I mean, we got to go with it. So, yeah, sling bait. As I said, when you put this on the list, I was like, this is a movie that I never even considered watching before. Uh, for whatever reason, my my impression, and we'll talk about this when we do the episode, but my impression of it is it's one of those movies where it's like the performance is the reason to watch it, maybe, but mm. I could be totally wrong. It could yeah. be a complete awesome movie, but I but I know that like the selling point is is Billy Bob Thornton's performance. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to see what it has to offer. We'll see if it's any good, you know. I'm interested to see if we like it. I'm I'm curious, man. Cool. All right, so Sling Blade next week and oh yeah, what year was that by the way? 96 1996. Or 96. So Sling Blade from 96 directed by It's also starring, directed by Billy Bob Thornton. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah, it was I think it was his kind of breakthrough in Hollywood, you know, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So, uh, okay. excited to check it out. Should be an interesting watch and, uh, yeah, looking forward to it next week, man. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch, or if you have a bullseye selection, you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboard movie night. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. <laughs> <laughs>